Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible. Uh, really, probably Matthew 5 would be a great place to go. Uh, we're also going to be giving reference, of course, to the sixth commandment. Uh, you shall not murder or do not murder. That's found in Exodus 20, but it's relatively short there. I just read it. So uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26 we'll look, and then we'll also look at 1 John chapter 3. And I'm afraid I'm going to forget to do this in the flow of my sermon. So as we unpack this commandment today, uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about is the motivation that's behind a, a murderous attitude, is a, an, an angry one, an unjustified anger. We're going to talk about how that relates to issues we have with each other, conflict and so forth. We're going to talk about how it shapes our relationships and even how we think about our own life as well. And so I noticed just this morning from our little display, these are sort of counseling type books that are in that display. From time to time, I'll bring the books that are a little more of a theological nature, answer those sorts of of questions. But uh, there's some booklets out there, one just on conflict. One says, I just want to die. Uh, One is uh, relief without cutting. Angry children, understanding and helping your children regain control. And how do I stop losing it with my kids, right? So we're working both sides of that equation. How do we help the kids with anger? How do we help ourselves? So those are just a couple of booklets that I noticed if uh, as we're unpacking this theme today, any of those things resonate or all of them. Uh, feel free. Those little uh, booklets are there for you and your benefit. I, I, I always say, you know, if you want to walk up to the table and say, hey, I'm grabbing one of these for a friend. That's fine. You can grab it for a friend. Grab all the booklets you want for the friend who needs help. Right. Uh, that's uh, that's fine and dandy, too. So today we continue on in our series through uh, God's top ten, looking at God's commandments, the mirror, the map and the mercy of those commandments. And we're going to look at that in a couple of passages today. I think the best thing to do is to just start in with the Matthew passage and see what Jesus says about the commandment that we're focusing in on today. Can't probably go wrong there. And then we'll see some comments that John makes in first John as well as we continue through this uh, this series and really move into the the sort of second half, as I think Daniel Cohe mentioned last week, the second half of the commandments of the first four or so relate uh, primarily to loving God, that vertical relationship with God. We're moving in, as we saw last week, honoring your father and mother and now moving into these uh, commandments that we have for the next few weeks into our interactions with others. How do we how do we love? So let's uh, read along, if you would, with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse 21. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going 
with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard. You'll be put into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And then First John, further towards the, the back of your book, right just a hair before you get to Revelation. First John, chapter 3, verse 16. The other John 3.16, I guess we could call this, 1 John 3.16, um, actually start in 15. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he, talking about Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers But if anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk only, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask today that uh, you would... Work through your word in our lives with power and with love. Lord, that as we look at the mirror of your commandments, as we look at the map and the way that it guides us, as we look at the mirror, we would see our need for Jesus and run to him. The light in his righteous life on our behalf. As we look at the map, we would desire to walk in the pathway that you have for us, and in all of this, Lord, would you display to us your kindness, your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, no doubt many here have had the chance to tune in. I can't remember if it's on HGTV or DIY, but to the the hit show Fixer Upper. Right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but probably a lot of people now are familiar with Chip and Joanna, right? Chip and Joanna. And you know what uh, they do. They, they go in and they find uh, homes out in the Waco, Texas area. I think it's around there. And they find homes and what they, especially when the show started, I think they, they've gotten a little, you know, off, off their original course. But when the show started, they would find houses that, you know, they might not look too bad on the outside, But they would show up and they would start to go inside and walk into the living room and realize it's a disaster. They'd go in the kitchen and see it's it's totally outdated. They would realize maybe there's some structural things wrong with the whole the whole deal. And maybe the electricals not run properly or up to code. They just they find countless problems in their Their goal was actually to find one that's kind of run down and get a good deal on it. So they could do what? Renovate. Redo it. Remake it from inside. And I I want us to kind of have that picture in mind, maybe a a fresh image for us in addition to the mirror and the, the map we've been talking about. As we walk through especially the number of commandments over the next week, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not lie, shall not covet. You know, uh, for some of us, like myself, we, we get pegged by every single one of those. 
maybe you're in better shape than me and you're only going to go two for five in the next couple of weeks, including today. Fantastic. Good. Good for you. But I'll tell you what, it, it's going to be like walking into that house a little bit. Right. A lot of us look pretty decent on the outside. Maybe can keep up a pretty good show. And yet, if you walk around the rooms of our house inside, and especially if you bring the the building code, if you will, of the commandments, there's a lot that needs renovating, isn't there? In fact, there's a lot that needs remade from, from the very base level, as we sung earlier in our worship service about God making all things new. That's a beautiful picture for us to have in mind. And so we're, we want to think that way and, and have that mindset as we, in a general way, and then also specifically as we look at this commandment today. There's uh, some pages in the back of your worship guide for sermon notes. I, I didn't get any sermon notes in there this week, so you may have to do a little more writing, but you can write on those pages if you want to grab a, a pen handy. And the main idea... I I think we want to take today from these verses and the scope of Scripture about these verses is this. That since the justified anger of God is atoned for by Christ, we should turn from our unjustified, angry, murderous ways and love. So since... God's justified anger is atoned for in Christ. We should turn from our unjustified, angry, murderous ways and love. Well, there's a a lot to unpack from this. I mean, the first thing would be you say, Pastor, God's angry. I'm not sure if I if I get that. Um, Maybe maybe in the Old Testament times, I, I see that. Uh, passages like Romans 1, we're not going to have time to turn to each of these, but actually speak in the New Testament about the wrath of God, which to me is an even little stronger word than angry, right? The wrath of God is being revealed in our world. Uh, even Jesus, who came uh, loving with grace and truth, you remember the scene where he went in and overturned all the, the tables and the money changers outside the temple. I'm not sure there's a better word to describe him than furious, right? You read that passage, you're familiar with it. And we know, of course, that Jesus, if we read our scriptures to the end, to Revelation, he's coming back. He's coming back in a forceful, even a judge judging way, if you will. So if we take into account all the scope of scriptures, we see that God, there is a component to who God is that maybe we don't like to talk about. It doesn't fit on nice little cross-stitch things to hang up on our bathroom wall. But that God's character is one that includes just righteous anger towards sin. Now, God's always right when he's angry. Not so with us. That's why Ephesians 4.26 And the New Testament says to us, in your anger, do not sin. The scriptures tell us, you know, it's not the anger itself that's wrong. There's things in our lives that we justifiably might get angry about. There's things that have been done to people in here. 
ways we've been treated that are wrong. They're sinful, and therefore it's okay to express anger. The, the problem is, like a lot of other things, we have a hard time doing it in a righteous way. A righteous way. So we see that, that anger is one of those things. It's a reality for us in our lives, but God has a heart for how we express that anger in a, in a righteous way. And then we read in our Matthew 5 passage just a few minutes ago that Jesus does this crazy thing. He says, you know, you've got this commandment, you shall not murder. And it's, you know, pretty easy for us to maybe feel like we can check that off our list, say, I, I haven't murdered anybody. You know, clean and clear. Maybe some here have. Maybe that's part of our uh, story. But all of us, all of us have had a murderous attitude, haven't we? A murderous posture. We've wished our boss was gone. Children, maybe we've wished our parents were gone. Parents, maybe we wished our kids were gone. Spouses, maybe we wished the other one was gone. Friends. All of these things, it's easy to, to see when we look for it that Jesus' words are, in fact, quite true and pretty convicting. Well, why does God care about all this stuff? Why does it really matter? Well, it's interesting, all the way back in Genesis, at the beginning of Genesis, it tells us that we're marked with something. That you and me are distinct uh, from the animal uh, kingdom and so forth and the plant life. And one of the things that's distinct about us is that we're marked with the image of God. And in fact, in Genesis 9, 6, I believe it is, when it, it's speaking in that early time of, of human life and so forth, it talks about uh, capital punishment. And it even says, well, the reason the capital punishment would be in place is because a life has been taken. And that life is marked by the image of God. It's valuable. Okay, You and I are valuable because we're marked with the image of God. So Jesus talks about this. We see it throughout the scriptures. And what I want us to do today, you know, we don't have time. I'm sorry. We can talk on another occasion to talk about, hey, what about law enforcement and the military and the judicial system? Yes, the, the, the book of Romans chapter 13 says that those entities in their capacity, in those roles, actually have to use the power of the sword. They have to actually take life. So we can bracket that off. We, we know that's true, or we can read that in Scripture. Uh, we're not going to have time to really unpack today and talk a lot about one of the booklets I mentioned, which is uh, suicidal tendencies, but that certainly relates to this comm- commandment. You shall not murder. It's not that that's the unforgivable sin for someone to uh, take their own life, but it is murder of self. Right. So it it is a a sinful uh, pathway. Uh, We're not going to have time to unpack that. Maybe you can read read the booklet um, if that's something you're wrestling with or others around you are wrestling. What I want to do, though, is I want to take a look at this Matthew five passage a little more closely and see what Jesus says. And hopefully help us see uh, the beauty of what Jesus has done and laying down his life for you and me. Because if we're honest, we realize that we are angry in an unjustified way. In fact, I would say over my years of pastoral ministry, it, it seems to me that anger is one of the key themes. I, I would suspect that probably a lot of us here 
although many things are going well in our lives outwardly, and other people around the world perhaps would say, wow, these people are blessed or whatnot, that there is a low boil that a lot of us operate at, maybe even a little higher boil, and that anger is something that's right there. Again, maybe it's not as big an issue for you. You know, maybe next week's going to be a bigger one. We talk about adulterous attitudes or the next week about, you know, thievery and stealing or the next week uh, lying and falsehood or covetousness. But uh, but I suspect that this affects a lot of us. Anger does. And so it's interesting to see what Jesus says. So take a look with me back at Matthew five. And let's uh, let's zero in on uh, these words for a minute. First thing Jesus says in verse 21, he says, you've heard that it was said. Now, when Jesus is talking about what the right understanding of Scripture is, he usually says, it is written. So when he's referring to that. So when he says, you've heard it said, he's talking about how people are understanding or interpreting the commandments. So he's, he's quoting it, but he's hinting that however people are applying it has probably got some misguided components to it. He says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That makes sense. You're going to have consequences of it. But he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoa. That just brought it home, didn't it? Right. We can't escape and say, oh, I'm not as bad as those people out there. I'm not as bad as those other folks. Jesus brings it right home to us. And, of course, he's trying to get at some of the Pharisee teaching and he's trying to get at some of the Phariseeism in our hearts and say, you know, it's not just the things that are on the surface in our lives that cause us to need God's grace and God's mercy. It's the things that are below the surface, the drives, the tendencies, the attitudes that we have. And Jesus is driving at that hard he says, everybody who's angry with his brother be liable to judgment. And he goes on, he says, whoever insults his brother, because what usually happens when we're angry with people, that we, we keep it all inside and we never let it out and we're always... No, eventually, at some point, if we don't deal with it in relationship with God, we don't realize how much he loves us, even though we've offended him, and grant forgiveness to those that we're angry at, what eventually happens? Boom! It comes out. Right. In some form or fashion. And if we're able to restrain ourselves physically, we we still love to hit with our words. We've all done it, haven't we? Young ones, you've said things to mom or dad that you probably regret in a moment when you were frustrated and you were struggling. Right. And hopefully there's been forgiveness and reconciliation. Parents, I know we've said things to our young ones, that we probably regret. Spouses, friends, co-workers, we've we've all done that, haven't we? I I dare say there's not a one of us that hasn't. And it's interesting what Jesus says, folks. This is is really tough, but it's, it's what he says. He goes on down at the end of verse 22, and he says, Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Here's what I want us to see, folks, because it, it just highlights the beauty of God's mercy. If you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you put your trust in him, you're not going to hell. You've been spared of that. You have and I have. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here's the deal. 
even if the only thing we ever did was say an angry, hurtful thing or have an angry, hurtful, a hateful posture towards somebody in our heart. Jesus is saying that's that's liable to judgment. We, we need him to pay for that. If you're here today, maybe and you're uh, just exploring the things of Christ or you really, you know, you're maybe just here, but you're pushing away the things of Christ. I want you to hear there's there's mercy and grace and forgiveness in Jesus. But don't miss what, what Christ is saying here. Even if the only thing you've ever done wrong in your life was be angry in an unjustified way, you need Jesus. And, and there's no there's no hope of, of heaven, of relationship with God without Christ because of that. Jesus is saying that pretty it's pretty in your face. It's pretty bold. OK, so those are some things we we see in these verses today. That's kind of our our first point. And I want you to see, too, that this isn't a new concept. This idea of dealing with anger is not something that Jesus just came up with. Actually, you can say, oh, we just you know, it's just one of Jesus's things. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, don't be quickly provoked in your anger, for anger resides in the lap of fools. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, you might have had it read at your, at your wedding here some, or heard it read at others' weddings. Love is not easily angered. Love's not easily angered. Do not be quickly provoked. James 1, 19, dear brothers, take note of this. Uh, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. All right? So there's another twi- twist to it. It's not just about the fact that we've got this tendency to get angry when, when things frustrate us. But we're quick to it. Jump on it. They've offended me. I must hit back. I must hit back with my words or with my attitude. number of scriptures remind us of that. What would it look like? For you and I to be filled with the love of God, recognizing his mercy towards us, who he should be angry with, but he chooses to be gracious and loving with. What would it look like for us to be so captivated by that, that we would be slow to get angry? Right. Not saying there's not a place to get angry. There's things in here, again, as I mentioned earlier, that have happened to us, people that are here that are not your fault, that have been done to you, that have affected you in significant ways. And it is okay to be angry about that. But uh, oftentimes we're so quick to get angry and we're so quick to twist that anger into an unjustified, murderous mindset. So the scriptures challenge us in all of these ways. When we are quick to be angered, the next question for us is, you know, how does it come forth? It usually comes forth in our speech. Okay, I'm going to give us some application in a minute for how to deal with this. Jesus actually gives us some too. Take a look with me at verse 23 of Matthew 5. We're still there in Matthew 5. And I'll say this. I guess I'll pause and say this. My, my wife and I, my, my father-in-law mentioned to us a couple of weeks ago. This is going to sound crazy, but this... Uh, this series that's on TV on the Unabomber. Anybody seen the series on the Unabomber? Manhunt. Unabomber sounded pretty cool. And it's like a seven episode thing. It's got that guy, um, Sam Worthington or Worthing, something like that playing it. So it's got some, some actors you've seen before that are playing in it. And so, you know, my wife Patience and I were looking for something uplifting to watch on TV. So Unabomber, here we go. 
Well, you know, if you know anything of the story, and I didn't, I guess it was a lot of it played out during my college years and seminary time, so I was just, you know, not tuned into all of what ha- was happening. But, you know, they searched this guy for years. He's an interesting person, Ted uh, Kaczynski, right? Ted Kaczynski. And, you know, he sent these bombs to people that were like in the mail, and they literally, they killed some people, uh, maimed all sorts of others. Everybody would look at it and say, hey, here's a hateful thing. That, uh, that this guy did. It's interesting the the show kind of charts some of his ideas and the way he viewed life, probably some things actually that a lot of us might agree with, you know, about our modern world and the way it affects us. And he was so he was angry about that. He had some personal stuff that the, the show demonstrates, too, that he he hadn't really worked through. And and there's no evidence in the show of any sort of gospel presence in your life. You think about how the gospel might have changed a man like him. But what's interesting is they get to the end and the way they present it in the show, I won't be ruining anything with this, but the way they present it is the chief uh, investigator that sort of traps or figures out how to capture him uh, through this linguistic analysis and that, analyzing his letters and so forth. And they figure out who he is. The chief one that, that does that, he kind of almost in order to catch him, has to adopt some of his mindset, has to start thinking like him so he can figure out. And it's disturbing, of course, for this guy. Uh, Fitzgerald is his name and uh, as they're presented there. And, and, and Fitzgerald at the end is talking to another friend of his. And Fitzgerald has come to understand why Ted is the way he is. And understand some of his ideas. And he's trying to sift out what's the difference between him and the rest of us. And what the woman that's talking to Fitzgerald says is that he doesn't recognize who other people are. He doesn't recognize the souls of the other people that are around them. And they, they don't call it the image of God. But the idea of the image of God is there. So what a huge thing it would be, too, for us folks to not only... Kind of on the sort of negative side, realize that God's not delighted when we show unjustified anger, but just just to recognize the beautiful thing that God has done in making the people around us. Again, it doesn't mean there won't be occasions where we get angry, but how we treat another person will be shaped and affected when we remember that person is another person made in the image of God. Okay, so. Those are some thoughts for us. Jesus gives us a pathway to to deal with all of this. Take a look at verse 23. It says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so that's kind of an act of worship, and going to church, you might say, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay? Jesus has taken these realities we've come to learn about the Ten Commandments now, and he's working it out. I just said a minute ago, first couple, first four commandments are about a vertical relationship with God. The other ones, if you think about it, as Jesus said when he summarized them, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not murdering your neighbor, if you're honoring your father and mother, if you're not committing adultery, uh, if you're not lying, if you're not stealing, if you're not coveting, you're, you're loving. That's what it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus is saying here, folks, is that what we're doing here today and the worship service and our relationship with God, we can't pull that apart and say, here's my little spiritual side and here's my anger and bitterness that I feel towards other people. Let me say one other thing. When you release 
somebody, when you forgive them, the biblical word is for releasing. It's like untying your shoe, loosing something. And what we feel like if we let go, especially if it's justified anger, if we let it go and forgive somebody, grant them forgiveness, we feel like we're releasing them, like we're making light of what happened. And it's interesting because the biblical word is to loose it. But I'll tell you what, folks, there's a reason God gives us his good commands, even about reconciliation. And that is that if you hang on to bitterness, it will destroy you. You be bitter all your life at that other person. A lot of times that other person doesn't even care. And it's going to eat you up inside. Right. So Jesus is reminding us of that to where we can to seek reconciliation as best as possible. Well, we've come close to the to the end of our time here, folks. I'll share one story and then a couple more applications. I may have shared this one before. You know, when you try to do that reconciliation thing and you reach out to somebody, maybe you know you've done something to hurt them and you feel called by God to seek their for their forgiveness to go that way. Um, it can be interesting, the results. Years ago in college, I, sent, I, I was convicted about some of these things. I guess I was reading or, you know, one of my small group leaders was sharing with me. And so I thought, oh, great. I'm going to go and I'm going to try to deal with all the people that I hurt growing up. And that would be a good thing, right? If I can if I can think specifically of some people that I've affected or offended or whatnot, I probably ought to try to do something about it. So I'm not sure who all I reached reached out to. But I remember one in particular. Some of you maybe have heard this before. And I sat down prayerfully and I was like, I need to write this guy a letter. I mean, from age nine until age 13. You know, we were sort of friends, but then we, I was always doing mean stuff to him. I mean, physically hitting him, getting in fights, did stuff, said mean things to him. Young people, I know you never do any of these things, but just imagine what it would be like if you ever felt that way towards someone. I'm being sarcastic. Um, and, and I remembered that, and so I wrote this whole long letter. And I also didn't know where this guy stood spiritually. And so I thought, here's an opportunity. I own my own sin acknowledge it, share about what Jesus has shown me in forgiveness and ask, you know, be seeking his forgiveness. And I, so I cataloged the things I could remember that I had done wrong against him in those juvenile years. Put that letter in the mail off to him. This was before the email generation. So put that letter in the mail and waited, waited, waited. Finally got the, the, the mail back from him, the letter. I saw it there. I thought, oh, cool. He's, he's responded. Opened up the letter, and the letter basically said it was fairly succinct. said, yes, indeed, Chris, you were a real jerk. <laughs> I'm glad that you're finding a way to deal with it. Sincerely, so-and-so. <laughs> you know, it, it, it didn't quite get through the way that I had hoped it would. That's going to happen sometimes, folks. You and I seek reconciliation. We can't control what's going to happen on the other side of the equation. We just can't. And that's in the Lord's hands, and that's okay, too. Well, folks, in conclusion, I want to mention the other side of the commandment, which in itself could be a whole, whole message, but I'll try to just mention briefly. When the commandment tells us to avoid something, it also, to put something off, it tells us also to put something on. 
So it tells us to avoid uh, an angry, murderous attitude. And in reverse, we know that that means putting on what? Jesus said it in the first John passage. Let me read it to us again as we uh, come to a close here. First John chapter three, we read everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. It goes on, it says, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and that we ought to do what? Lay down our lives for our brothers. Tells us a little bit about how we should do that, that we, we ought to be real careful. And goodness, I, I mean, I'm really guilty of this. I'd say in our church circles, we probably tend this way too, to love in word and in talk. John is telling us we got to make sure to love in deed and in truth genuinely. So, folks, when we read this commandment that says not to, to murder, it also tells us to protect life and to love. It speaks to the, the, the reason the church genuinely in our culture represents the pro-life viewpoint, that we ought to protect life and guard it. It speaks to um, racism. And it says this before, if you have a murderous attitude... Then, then there's a spiritual emptiness there. It speaks to this view that we uh, picture people based on their ethnicity or their background or whatever other standard you want to apply instead of loving people beyond those walls and directions. So what would it look like for us to build more relationships that move beyond that? Certainly it speaks to the call to love well in our marriages, in our friendships, in our closest relationships. And the last thing I think it speaks to is this. If we value life, the opposite of murderous attitude is value in protecting life, then we'll value eternal life for those that are around us and we'll be those who share the gospel, who tell people about Jesus, right? What better way to promote life than to share the eternal life that's in Christ? Mentioned at the beginning of our message this main idea, since the justified anger of God is atoned for by Christ, we should turn from our unjustified, angry, murderous ways and love. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, you know that the one up here speaking and praying has uh, justified, angry, Tendencies, I guess we'll call them, uh, a plenty. And I suspect that I'm not alone in this room. And so, Lord, we just come before you and confess that, uh, Lord, even though there is a righteous way to show anger, and maybe some of us are overly cautious about expressing what we really think and feel. Lord, uh, much of the time we express our anger and we do it in a, a really unjustified way, in a hateful way. And so, Father, we pray that you would show us the path to a reconciliation where it's needed, that you would work in our hearts to remove that murderous attitude we have. Father, there's maybe some here today who have taken a, a life physically that you would remind them if they're I've sought you and sought your forgiveness, that you have forgiven them of that. Father, I pray that you would not only restrain us from those things, but you would propel us to be those who love others, love the image of God in our fellow man, and that we would reach out because of Jesus' work in our lives and 
every way that we can to savor life, to promote it, to support it, to love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.